With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and... Go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. So Adam, last week... Jake Plummer was on Broncos TV and he was on with Phil Milani and they obviously talked about Plummer's time in Denver and um, what it was like to play for, for Pat Bowl and play for the Broncos, what made him the competitor that he is, why he was the quarterback that he was. And on Friday, Mile High Report does a radio bit with Ryan Edwards and Benjamin Albright on Broncos Country Tonight on KOA. And last Friday, Lori Latimer Volkman was the Mile High Report guest. And she talked about the similar personalities that Drew Locke and Jake Plummer have. And I thought to myself, why didn't I put that together sooner? Because I've told you this, Jake Plummer is one of my favorite Broncos, especially the last 15, 20 years, because I just love the way he played the game. And I covered him for two years when he was the quarterback. But the the personality traits, I wrote a story based on that radio hit 
asking the question, are they kindred spirits? And as I said in the story, and I'll say it again, I can picture Jake Plummer rapping on the Broncos sideline just like Drew Locke did. And I have not been able to get that image out of my head for about a half, five days, six days. It's it, it's an incredible image to, to see J- in my mind, Jake Plummer rapping to Jeezy on the sideline. Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting. You know, we talk about Jake Plummer. The thing I find fascinating about Broncos country's fascination with Jake Plummer is that he really was only a Bronco for a very short time. If you think about his tenure in Denver, uh, he, he went to an AFC championship game in 2005, which, uh, which Denver lost to Pittsburgh, which we've, they should have won. They should have won that game, but they didn't, uh, they, you know, and that happens, right? That's football for you. Um, he was replaced sort of like, I don't remember how many games was it into the 2006 season by Jay Cutler sort of, uh, unceremonially, unceremoniously, you know, it wasn't very nice. What I believe Shannon it was Thanksgiving against Kansas City yes. in 2006. Yes, and 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 the, there was a, the quarterback controversy sort of started almost right away just because uh, you know Mike Shanahan drafted Jay Cutler and and Jay Cutler looked good as a as as a college athlete, but he was you know and, and whatever your feelings are on Jay Cutler, uh, that was the direction that Mike Shanahan wanted to go. And I'm not going to get into the history of that. But it sort of created this legend of Jake Plummer in Broncos country. And and I love Jake Plummer, too. I, I, I will fully admit that he uh, is one of those guys that his personality, uh, the way he played, his sort of swagger on the field was something that I think most people are drawn to. Uh, I think he is an, an impressive individual as far as the way he presents himself. And so I understand the sort of the mythical legend of Jake Plummer, right? Jake the Snake has has sort of wormed his way into the hearts and minds of, of Broncos country, people who have been fans for a long, long time. And obviously, when you talk about, you know, Jake, Jake Plummer, you're talking about a guy who didn't really, he found a lot of that sort of losing quarterback success throughout his career. And what I mean by that is when he was with the Cardinals, I think they went to the playoffs once, maybe maybe twice. I think it was once or twice. They didn't have a lot of team success, but it was pretty clear that as the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals, he was a very good football player. Not great. He's not a Hall of Famer in my opinion. Uh, he's obviously not a, a Ring of Famer either, but he was a he he was a guy who sort of in the same vein as John Elway could run around outside the pocket, make things happen when plays broke down. That's when he was at his best. And we love that about him. And his, his, his legend in Denver, I would say is very similar to not quite, but very similar to the legend of Tim Tebow, except for Jake Plummer, in my opinion, is a, a very likable individual. And I know I'm going to get in trouble with people oh, you're saying mean things about Tim Tebow. I don't like Tim Tebow. Get over it. I do like Jake Plummer. I like Jake Plummer because he seems like the type of player that I would want to lead my football team. So the comparison of Drew Locke to Jake Plummer is a fascinating comparison because I do think that they have some similarities. Now, I I am hopeful that career-wise, Drew Locke has a career that's, that's far greater than what Jake Plummer was able to do as a professional quarterback in the NFL. Most of that probably isn't Jake Plummer's fault, 
But I, I still sort of look at that and think, I hope that Drew Locke is a better player. But attitude-wise, uh, relationship with the fans, other than when uh, Jake flipped off the, the fans at one, at one game. It happened one time, right? It was just the once. Uh, against the Dolphins. Against the Dolphins, yeah. Other than that, I mean, his relationship with the fans was great. And then his after-career, post his career with the, the Denver Broncos, that's when he became a, a sort of that sort of mythological, legendary sort of figure in Broncos country. And, and then I I think of him, when you say Jake Plummer, I think of him skiing down the slope. <laughs> it was such a stupid memory. I think of him skiing down the slope. I think it was at Winter Park or Breckenridge or who cares. Just to say, like, with the whatever number pick in the third round of the 2000-whatever NFL draft, the Denver Broncos select, and he makes his selection. Like, well, how stupid and gimmicky was that? But that's that's just what I think of. I, I don't know why, but it is. And as I said in the story when I wrote about it, the reason I like Jay Cutler and still like Jay Cutler is he's the type of guy that you want to have a beer with and just shoot the crap with. I, I Talk life. It, I don't mean to cut you off. You meant Jake Plummer. It's okay. It's okay. I brought up Jay Cutler and I messed you up. That's my fault. But you meant Jake Jake Plummer. Jake Plummer. Their names are so similar. I just noticed. I just noticed Jay Cutler, Jake Plummer. They're it's just a couple letters away. That's that's very confusing. In terms of the advice that Plummer gave to Drew Locke in this interview that he did with Phil Milani on Broncos TV, he said, take everything in stride, but make sure you're preparing for yourself mentally and also to be the leader on this team. Just coming in ready to be that guy doesn't mean you have to be perfect every day or set the example every single minute. It just means you have to do your best. But put your best effort forward and make sure your teammates know that they see that and they see it mean something to you, how important it is to win and to win now. Plummer added that the kid is himself. He's not going to worry about what other people think. If you're the leader and you're 100% into it, those guys will really love you and respect you and do great things for you. And that's Drew Locke. That's already the impression that he's given off, and it's only been five games, which is still remarkable and he still has a lot of work to do we've touched on the excitement that we have about drew lock and this offense with all of his new toys jerry judy and kj hamler melvin gordon alberto but it's exciting because he has all the traits to be a successful quarterback. And I I keep going back to this. He has it mentally. He wants to be the guy, and he knows he has to put in the work, but he loves to do it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. We talked last week when we recorded, we talked about all these guys are athletes, right? Every single guy that plays in the NFL is an elite-level athlete. And so then what does it come down to? Like, what is the separation? And it's a very fine line between – uh, you know, a, a solid career in the NFL and a guy who who just doesn't make it. And that line, in my sort of estimation here, is that willingness to prepare, that willingness to get in the books and, and put in the effort and and take it beyond just what I can do physically on the field, but what I can use my brain to do, especially at the quarterback position. I think the one thing that, and I'm not talking about smart, smarts. I'm not talking about, oh, you went to Harvard, so you're smart. That's not where I'm going with this. I'm talking about a guy who will get into the playbook 
and study the playbook for hours on end because that's what he loves to do and he knows it's going to make him better on the football field. I'm talking about a guy who is is constantly watching film and studying film and trying to understand what defenses are doing, what he needs to do as the leader of the offense, how he can affect a, a play, what types of, of uh, uh, nuances and, and, and indicators that you might see from a defense that, that could show you some things that you need to be able to do to make things better. And so that it's, and it's a fine line, right? We know that there are guys who, who put in, the effort that just can't quite make it. I think that Drew Locke, and we've talked about this, and I think that it's important to just sort of reference it one more time. I think that he has all of the physical tools. Now, I'm not saying that he's perfect yet. He's not. He, he clearly has things that he can work on, but the, the tools are there for him to grow and make better and get better. The biggest asset he has is his desire, at least his supposed desire because it's what we see from him his desire to be a great quarterback his desire to work on it on the mental side just as much as on the physical side to ensure that he is going to be the guy who can lead the Broncos back to winning football games and playoff contention and and eventually hopefully to a Super Bowl that's that is the idea here so uh, the, the comparisons to Jake Plummer are great as far as the attitude and sort of that, that kindred spirit. I love that because they, they do seem like they could be kindred spirits. Free spirits. Free like, spirits, yeah. They want to have fun. They just – kind of like Brett Favre. Sure. Kind of like the, the gunslinger, the, the I'm just going to go out and sling it. I mean, that, that, that's not to mean that they don't take it seriously, but they remember that it is a game. And you're supposed to have fun. There are moments that you take serious, but he's yeah. He, here's the thing: Drew Locke seems to have tapped into a certain, um, I, I guess, a certain resource of these quarterbacks that came before him. Uh, we've talked about him talking to Peyton Manning a lot uh, and and getting advice from him. If there's a better quarterback to get advice from, I, I don't know who it is. Uh, this this idea of him being similar to Jake Plummer uh, and, and reaching out and talking to him and having that sort of kindred spirit and understanding who he is and being able to just sort of be himself and, you know, sort of strive to make himself better. Drew Locke seems to get it. Right. I mean, that's kind of where we're, where I'm at with him. He seems to get it when it comes to understanding what you have to do to be great in the NFL. And he he knows who to go to, who to talk to, who who he should be focused on getting advice from to make himself better, to to give him that understanding of how you can be great in the NFL. And a guy like Jake Plummer, I think well, you, you may look at his win-loss record and go, oh, you know, he wasn't really a great winner. No, but he was the type of guy that understood how to win games in situations where he shouldn't win games. He was a comeback kid. He was a guy who who sort of went against the grain a lot of times and was able to pull wins out, not very many obviously, but pull wins out when his team never should have won. And so having those two sort of two ends of the spectrum, right, your Peyton Manning, greatest quarterback in the NFL, uh, those kinds of things. And then your, uh, you know, your Jake Plummer, uh, the guy who had to fight to make himself great. Those two things are, I think, uh, just a, a perfect combination for, for Drew Locke to really study and get to know. The other quarterback that we haven't mentioned yet, who is at his disposal and arguably 
one of, if not the greatest quarterback ever, is his general manager, and that's John Elway. Yeah, I missed that one. Oops. How do I miss John Elway? The greatest, in my opinion, quarterback of all time. That might be a bigger gaffe than me calling Jake Plummer Jay Cutler. Oh, I don't know. I mean, we were we were talking about guys. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, it was. I, okay, yeah, I, you win. My my mistake was bigger than your mistake. I told. I'll I'll accept that. That's fine. <laughs> no, but and you're, just to reiterate, right. just to reiterate, how awesome would it have been to see Jake Plummer rapping on the Broncos sideline? I. You know he's not a rapper, though, right? Like, that's the one thing I think. But neither is Drew Locke. No, but what I mean by that is, not that, obviously, neither one of them are rappers. I I get that. What I mean by that is, to me, Jake Jake Plummer is more, like, I imagine him just, like, belting out Creedence Clearwater Revival on the sidelines. But that's still sort of the same, in the same vein. I just don't see, you know, he's, I don't see him dropping, uh, he probably, actually, I, I do, actually, I could see him you know, busting out some Tupac or, or something like that as well. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but he's definitely a, a CCR guy as well. That's, that has to be who Jake Plummer would be singing along to if he had the option. For the younger audience, CCR is Creedence Clearwater Revival. I, that's what I said. I said Creedence Clearwater Revival first so that they would pick yeah. up on it. I know I, the younger audience that was, I don't know that I liked that either because <laughs> that's a band that my parents would listen to. Right. So yeah, before John Fogarty left the band. Well, you know, I mean, not everything lasts forever. They were good for a long time. Gosh. Anyway, all right. So we can agree that we like sort of that. Um, there's a lineage there that goes all the way back to, to John Elway, obviously, and go, comes up all the way through to, to potentially Drew Locke and, and what he can do is and become a successful Bronco uh, and sort of win the hearts and minds of Broncos country everywhere. Um, and, I, and I hope that he does. I hope that he continues on the path that he seems to be on. I think that, uh, like we've said millions of times, the arrow is pointing upwards. So, all right. I think Broncos country already does love Drew Locke. Oh, yeah. And I think they're just, they, they, like I've been saying before, they're, they're like thirst quenched travelers through a desert and, this is the first sign of legitimate water in five years. So Broncos country is, is ready to drink the sand and hope that it's water. Yeah, we are. And I, I think it is water. Let's, let's just say it that way. All right. So um, what do we want to talk about next? You brought up a couple of, of interesting things we could go on. Uh, which, which direction do you want to go first? I think they're all tied together and this goes into a, a radio hit that I do on Saturdays with Clark and company, Michael Clark and Mark Knudsen on ESPN 1600 in Denver. And we talked about a feeder league. So kind of like minor league baseball or minor or the junior leagues in hockey, for example. There's even a developmental league now in the NBA. And that got me thinking of, on my feet really quick for the radio segment about NFL Europe. And obviously probably the most famous player from NFL Europe is Kurt Warner, since he's now in the pro football hall of fame. And it was an interesting conversation because as we went along, we talked about the rule changes that have been implemented in the NFL and we can get into that. But also 
the things that could come about by having a developmental league of sorts, another NFL Europe that plays in the spring. I think it's vital that if the NFL does anything like that, it's in the spring. So you're not competing against the NFL, which is a no-win situation for any league. And anyone with half a brain knows that. But it's, it's a very interesting conversation because of what it allows and brings for the National Football League. And I'll, we can just jump right into it. You not only get players the ability to develop, it gives them another option on top of the NCAA. It allows for the league to test rules. So anything can be on the table. So this 4th and 15 plan that was tabled by the competition committee which, if you don't know, instead of an onside kick, you would get one point in a game where you could do a fourth and 15 from like the 25-yard line, I think. And if you get it, obviously you keep the ball and you can score a touchdown. It's a very interesting idea. It got tabled. Well, if there was this developmental league, you could try it. You could have the sky judge, which there has been no determination on yet. So any and every rule that you want to test, you could do it in this developmental league. And the other big thing that it would do is it would allow you to have a feeder system for officials. Because one of the biggest problems that the NFL has had, especially with officiating the last three or four years, is you have all these veteran officials retiring. And coming up are people who have never been a referee in the NFL before. They've been a back judge, they've been a side judge, they've been an umpire, but they've never been a referee. If you have a feeder league, a developmental league, an NFL Europe, you can then have referees get the ability to officiate in a developmental league. And then when it's time, when you have a guy like Ed Hockley or Gene Steratore retire, instead of bringing up people who have never been a referee before, and if they have, it was a long time ago for college or high school, you have guys who have done it and have been developed and are ready for it. And then to add to that, it's about time the NFL make NFL officials full-time employees. Okay, so there's a lot there to, to unpack, and I'm going um, to start with – the the referee situation and, and there's, you'll get no argument from me on that it there needs to be a, a way of promoting referees so that you have guys that have experience that have uh you know been that the, the head referee of a crew that have um you know been on, on all parts of the field as a referee or an umpire or a back judge or a side judge they've done everything and their first role as a referee isn't in the NFL and you know, the biggest moment of their life is a, is a, is a, you know, regular season game where they are going to impact uh, the outcome of the game in a way that, that could affect a team's chances of getting into the playoffs or, you know what I'm saying? So, or, 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 or draft position, those kinds of things. And so you're absolutely right about that. The NFL needs to address the officiating issues. And the, the first thing they have to do is make them full-time employees, but that's a whole issue with, 
the union, right? There's going to be problems with salaries. The the officiating crews are going to be a part of a union. You're going to have to negotiate yearly salaries, yearly compensation, benefits, uh, retirement stuff. There's there's all kinds of things that's going to come with that. And so the NFL is going to shy away from making them full time because as it stands right now, the NFL doesn't necessarily have to worry about all those ancillary things that come with having full time employees and making sure that they have uh, access to all of the benefits and, and you know, healthcare benefits and insurance and, uh, you know, the, the, the retirement funds and all of those other things, which I'm sure they have something set up through the union. And I can't speak to it as far as what it exactly is but it would have to be even more substantial for those professional referees that you would have in the NFL. However, the product on the field would be a million times better if you didn't constantly feel like the guys who are in charge of those officiating crews don't know what they're doing because that has been the case for the last few years. That This idea that, um, you know, the, 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 the guy who replaces Ed Hockley is Ed Hockley's son or whatever, but he's just not as good as his dad, right? And so um, it's it's got to be something where you make uh, where you make it official that you have officials that are full time. I'm sorry, I did that. That was totally unnecessary. Or have as big a guns. Yeah, I mean, you, well, you make sure that they get into the weight room, right? You want officials that can. Uh, officially, you know, work out, you know, the, the Ed Hockley sort of lineage there has to continue, but it's when it comes to that. So if we're talking about a developmental league in the NFL, and, and, and I have some other thoughts on that, that I will get into, but if we're just talking about officiating, I think that's the area that will have a, the most impact on the product on the field and be the most positive impact impact because it is it is the place where the guys who are making the judgment calls will get a chance to hone their skills in a way that um, actually makes them better. The other thing I would tell you is you you talked about uh, doing a developmental league in the spring. I would actually tell you if the Super Bowl ends the first weekend of February, which is what it's going to be from now on uh, until they push it all the way back to March, which I'm sure they will. I would say you want to start your developmental league two weeks later, almost and have uh, you could have certain players who have had the entire uh, span of the postseason off, get in and do some work guys that were on 53 man rosters that didn't actually play and referees that refed in the NFL during the regular season that can then go down and, hone their skills and work their craft in the developmental league with guys who are coming up. You would have that mix. That's where you get into more of a minor league system, if you will, that would somewhat mirror what you see in professional baseball. I'm going to pause the biggest, there. <laughs> the biggest thing is to just make officials full-time employees. I think that's the first thing that needs to happen. And before we go any further, I'd, we, I mentioned the NFL rules changes. So here are the three rules changes that will be implemented. Um, it'll make permanent the expansion of automatic replay reviews to include scoring plays and turnovers negated by a foul and any successful or unsuccessful try attempt. Uh, the competition committee expands def the defenseless player protections to kickoff or punt returner who is in possession of the ball but who has not had time to avoid or ward off the impending contact of an opponent. And 
The last one is prevents teams from manipulating the game clock by committing multiple dead ball fouls while the clock is running, a.k.a. the Bill Belichick rule <laughs> that was thrown back at him by his former pupil with the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, Mike Vrabel, just, it was so great. That was the best part of that was watching Mike Vrabel use Bill Belichick's uh, you know, strategies against him and to see that Bill Belichick could do nothing about it. And so because he couldn't do anything about it, they're going to change the rules so you can't do that to Bill Belichick anymore. That's that's the way I look at it. It's like, you can't do that to Bill Belichick. Only Bill Belichick can do that. We're changing the rules, you guys. And so that's why they changed that rule. I, I, I'm going to throw some cold water on your, on, on your idea, though, of having a, a developmental league. I don't think the NFL wants a developmental league. I think the NFL tried it with NFL Europe, and it worked for a little while, but it didn't make them enough money. And when you have a developmental league, like a minor league baseball system in baseball, there are thing, there are costs that you have to take into account. Travel costs, uh, stadium costs. You have to assume there's going to be things like concessions and, and employees that you have to pay. There's going to be injuries. You're going to need more team doctors. You're going to need more officials. You're going to need uh, more coaches. So the cost of, like, if, if you did it like baseball, for example, and you said, okay, every team has a developmental team. And, and so you have 32 minor league teams and they play in a league. Let's say they play in Europe because they want to expand the league into Europe. That's fine. Let's say they do that. You're going to have to pay stadium fees. You're going to have to pay for those teams to travel. You're going to have to pay for those referees to travel. You're going to have to pay for uh, the employees of those teams. And I don't think uh, NFL teams want to do that. So now let's say you back it off a little bit and you say, okay, well, we'll do eight teams. Let's have an eight team league. They'll play a, you know, a short season. Maybe they play a, a 10, 10 week season or whatever, and it'll just be NFL developmental league, NFL D, right? NFL developmental league. You still got to pay for stadiums. You still got to pay for travel. You still got to pay for coaches. You still got to pay player salaries, which I didn't mention before. You still got to pay. There are so many costs, and if if those costs aren't covered by uh, TV revenue. Uh, concession sales, ticket sales, and all of those things that come with making it so that you have uh, a profitable league, the NFL wants nothing to do it because they can just continue to draw on the free labor of the NCAA and college football where they don't have to pay for any of those things that I've mentioned. That all falls to the states and the private colleges and institutions that pay the salaries of the coaches and pay for the equipment and pay for the travel and pay for the stadiums and don't pay the players. So it, it is one of those things where cost effectively, the NFL, I guarantee you, will never go towards something like that while the NCAA still has what the NFL probably looks at as the perfect pipeline for players to come into the league. The big reason that I think it would happen is because the NFL makes no money off the NCAA. People will watch football. Companies will pay to air football, regardless of what it is, and people will eat it up. If you're able to take the players from the NCAA and you can legitimately pay them and you can convince them you don't have to go to Alabama, you don't have to go to Clemson, you don't have to go to Ohio State, you don't have to go to Oklahoma, you can get paid right now and play in a developmental league and you never have to worry about being eligible or any of that. 
and the NFL would do it in a heartbeat because then you're getting TV revenue, you're getting you're getting the people who would originally go to Alabama or Clemson to watch the games. Well, they're not going to have those players now. They're going to be in a developmental league that the NFL is now officially a part of and can make money on. So that's where I think it'll get interesting. And the reason that I think it, it's it's more likely to happen now is because the NCAA is going to be very different after COVID-19. It's going to be very different. I still think you're going to have the power conferences. I don't think that's going to go away. I think Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, the power five conferences are going to be fine. What I think is going to impact is the schools beneath that. So the Mountain West, the whatever else is out there now that is similar to the Mountain West. They constantly change the names. <laughs> I think those schools are in trouble. So Colorado State, Wyoming, Air Force, San Diego State, those are the schools I think are in trouble. Sure, your conference USA. Those are the program. Yeah, I got you. Mm-hmm. And then if because the NFL is all about money, it is all about money. And if it can find a way to make more money, the owners can make more money. There is a way to do it, and you also take away the NCAA, and you have your official feeder system. Now, do I think it's likely to happen? No, but it would be interesting to see what will happen now because of these bizarre times with COVID and everything else that's going on. Yeah, no, I, I definitely could see uh, the changes that are going to take place in, in you know, sort of that college landscape sort of creating a need for a feeder system or for a developmental league. And, and I think that you're right. I think that the NFL, if they can figure out a way to make it profitable, and that's the, that is the main point here. If they can figure out a way to make it profitable, they'll do it because the one thing that the NFL is about is money. And as much as we love the Denver Broncos and as much as we love watching football, it is, it is hard to ignore the fact that the main focus of the national football league is to make money. And, and they will do anything and everything that they can to ensure that they're making the most money possible. And so an investment in a developmental league like that is only going to come if they can make the determination that they are going to make money off, that it's going to be profitable. Not just a little profitable, they want to make as much money as possible. So I, I would be curious to see how they would how they would do that. They'd probably hire people smarter than me to put something like that into effect. At least I would or hire Vince people. McMahon. Yeah, <laughs> or Vince McMahon, who can't seem to make it work twice now. Poor guy, he's trying. So, uh, But I, I can see where you're going with that. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, uh, things are a little crazy in the world today. I think we should uh, address it a little bit, uh, and then we'll uh, and then we'll send you on your way. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. 
You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. All right, we're back. Uh, I am going to um, just mention that if you only come to us for uh, straight football talk and some of the goofiness that we get into every now and then, uh, you know, I wouldn't be offended if you said, all right, I'm done, and you moved on. Because uh, we are going to um, talk a little bit here about some of the things that have been going on in our country uh, following the, the murder of uh, George Floyd and uh, the riots and protests. I should say that the other way, the protests and riots. Uh, that have been taking place across this country and really across the world as, as they have gone international. Um, and it, it reminds me of, and, I, and I'll, I'll get a little personal here, it reminds me of the stories that my mom used to, ta- to tell. Uh, she would still tell them, I suppose, if I asked her to, about uh, her time in Switzerland. When she lived in Switzerland, it was 1968, and uh, she was there uh, in April of 68 when Martin Luther King was assassinated Uh, and riots broke out across the country and she was in a a place in Switzerland where they had students that walk, they did student walkouts and uh, all across Europe in, in 1968, you had uh, students and people in solidarity with, with the the people who were rioting against just the oppression uh, of specific people in this country and, and the, the assassination of Dr. King, uh, who, who walked out in solidarity and, and, and made their voices heard. And what we are seeing today, uh, and we have seen over the course of the last few days in the United States, is pent-up aggression, anger, uh, sadness, uh, distrust of a, a government system that seems to really um, favor a certain group of people and focus its attentions negatively on another group, that it, it, it has reached it reached a boiling point and has boiled over. But but the other thing that I want to talk about here that is so important, at least in the context of a football setting, is when you look at the impact that athletes have on these types of situations and the way that they can um, they can really help to bring communities together. And I, I need go no further than Justin Simmons. And I, and we have talked a lot about Justin Simmons being somebody who we really love as a Denver Bronco. He is a Pat Bolin Bronco. We talk about that all the time on this podcast. He is the type of guy that does great work in the community and is a great player on the field. And we have a lot of respect for him. And I, I tweeted out a video of him, uh, a couple of videos, one that had sound, one that didn't, the one with sound was better, uh, talking to people in his hometown, in his community about uh, protesting, about being peaceful, but about making their voices heard and and, in, and making sure that the people who uh, are perpetrating atrocities on individuals of color because that's just the way the system has been set up for years and years and years are held to account. And not just people who perpetrate atrocities on people of color, but all, all people, right? But uh, it goes back to this idea that it can't, if one group of people is oppressed, then we're all oppressed, Okay, and, and that's the crux of, of this particular uh, situation that we live in. If, if one group of people is being oppressed by the system, then we're all being oppressed by the system. We can't all be free if a group of us are not free. And that's the society that we've lived in for a long, 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 long time. It's, it's been going on since the, since the beginning of European settlement of the Americas, period. 
As, as a historian, as somebody who teaches history, who has studied history, who, who has to face 13 and 14 year old kids who ask me questions about these things, it is important that we understand that this is not new. It is not new. It is not novel. It is something that has been happening and will continue to happen until a system change takes place. And so it is something that we have to focus on. And I think about the history of athletes who have had uh, social impact. Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who wrote an excellent op-ed about all of the things that are going on today and have been going on for years and years and years. And how those athletes come from a situation and from a place that I will never understand. I can't understand it because I don't, I, I didn't live through it. Okay. I don't have to uh, tell my son that when he goes out at night, how he's supposed to hold on to the steering wheel or make sure his hands are always, I don't, I don't have to do that because the color of my skin affords me that privilege of not having to worry about those things. The athletes that we enjoy watching on the field, most of them, have to worry about those things. And so it's important that in solidarity with those people who we revere as, as, as role models, as people who we look up to, Justin Simmons, for example, is uh, uh, someone who I would say to my son, you be like him. If that's, if that's really truly what we are saying, uh, then we have to be willing to stand with those people and, and, and make sure that they know that we support them in this cause because it is a cause that doesn't just ensure that a small group of people are, are free and are, are not being oppressed, but that all of us are not being oppressed. And, and so it is very important to me. And I'll, I'll tell you one more story, uh, and, and then I'm going to give Ian the floor here a little bit. Uh, there was a video that w I saw on Twitter uh, that was at Lafayette Park right outside the White House. And a, a young African-American uh, who couldn't have, he couldn't have been more than, than 16 years old, just a couple years older than the students that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis jumped over the barricade and immediately knelt down with his hands up in front of a, a group of police who were marching towards them and directly behind him following and then kneeling in front of him to ensure he was safe was a young white woman who couldn't have been more than 15, 16, 17 years old as well, who used herself as a shield to protect this young man, used her privilege to protect this young man from anything that could have happened to him. And, and I showed that to my daughter, I showed, showed that to my 10 year old, soon to be 11 year old daughter. She's smart as a whip. She's, she, I, I can't tell you how proud I am of her. And she looked at me and she said, and we talked about it. And I, I, I told her, this is how you use your privilege. You use it to protect the oppressed. You use your privilege to ensure that the people who have something to say can say that without being hurt, killed. You, 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 you use it in a positive way to ensure that all people can be treated equally and, and justly. And she said, and she said to me, how is it possible for me? And I'm going to paraphrase her a little bit because I won't be able to do it justice. How is it possible for me to actually exact change when these peaceful protests don't work? This is a 10 year old girl who acknowledges the failures of our nation who acknowledges that the peaceful protests that she's she studied in school from Dr. King, from, uh, you know, you know, all the way up through to, to, to everything that she studied. And she acknowledges that they haven't worked. And so what are we supposed to do? And I, I didn't really have an answer for her other than, well, 
then you put yourself in the system and you change the system from within, which means you go and vote and you vote for people who are going to make a change, who are going to change things for the better. And beyond that, that's all I could really tell her. That's all I could really do. But we have an opportunity here in this country right now. We are at the at, we are at a crossroads. We have an opportunity to make change and we should follow those people who we revere on the field and on the court and on the pitch or wherever whatever athletes that you uh, you know you hold up as, as a hero, listen to what they're saying. Follow the, their leadership, their example because you certainly rely on them on Sundays to entertain you. Rely on them now because they're telling you the things that they've gone through, the lives that they've lived and how it's impacted them and the things that they've done. I I digress. I think the important thing is to be empathetic. Far too often in this country, we are not empathetic. We cannot put ourselves in the shoes of somebody else. We cannot imagine what it's like to walk in somebody else's shoes. And you mentioned it. You have no idea what it's like to be a black man in this country, to be a father of a black kid who has to prepare for every scenario, to have your hands on the dashboard so that you're not moving, so they're not perceived as being a threat because of the color of their skin. So two things come to my mind as you were talking. The first one is at the end of a 1996 movie starring Matthew McConaughey, Samuel L. Jackson, and Sandra Bullock. A Time to Kill. Matthew McConaughey is representing Samuel L. Jackson. The end of the movie is one of the most powerful moments in cinematic history. If you haven't watched it, I recommend it. Because Matthew McConaughey is giving his closing argument. And he tells the story of what happened to a teenage girl. Everything that happened to her, every single thing that happened to her in gory detail, tells the story, lays it out. And at the end of his closing argument, as he's tearing up, he says, Now imagine that she's white. It is one of the most powerful moments in cinematic history. And in terms of recent times, there are two words that were uttered by one of the most famous Broncos and one of the best Broncos in history. Champ Bailey. And it was at his Hall of Fame induction ceremony in August. And he simply said, please listen. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos.